Hallelujah. Let's lift up our hands all across this house. Amen. We don't just sing about miracles. We believe in them. Hallelujah. Lift up your heart and your faith here today. Lord, if you, if, if you need a miracle, I want you to know God is more than able to perform that miracle in this house. Call on the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Whatever you're facing, it's got to bow. Whatever sickness you got going on, it's got to bow. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim it. We receive it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give God a great big hand clap of praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I love what I feel in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name. As you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn over to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and beginning in verse number 1. And at this time, we would like to dismiss our Sunday school kids. If you follow Brother Rodriguez back there, he'll help you out. Amen. Everybody say, God bless our Sunday school kids. And God bless our Sunday school teachers. Amen. Praise God. We love our kids here at ARC. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to be re again reading in verse number 1. Now, if I was going to be honest with you here today, this is not necessarily a text I would like to pull on a Sunday. Amen. But I couldn't shake it from my spirit that God wants to speak to somebody in this house here today. So I want to be obedient to the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. Notice this. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. At a time when kings go forth to battle, David sent somebody else to fight, and David stayed home. I want you to notice that. And it came to pass at eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's most confident, trusted men? And David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him, and, and he lay with her, for she was purified for her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Skipping down to verse number 14. Got a lot of reading here today. Verse number 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah 
in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat or retire from him that he may be smitten and die. He's trying to cover up what he did. And that letter was delivered to Joab by the hand of the man that was about to die in the battle. Verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Chapter 12, the story continues. Just going to read part of this. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. There's a moment of mercy in the midst of all of this. God sent him a preacher. And then we're going to go to verse 26 of chapter 12. Bible says, and Joab fought against Rabbah. Same battle that he was fighting a year ago. Same battle Uriah died in. Same battle David stayed home from. That battle continued through the whole year. And Joab fought against Rabbah. This is after the preacher came. This is after David repented. This is after David got redeemed by God. And they fought against Rabbah, the children of Ammon, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have taken the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. He's saying, you take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. And David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he, David, took the king's crown from off his head. The weight thereof was the talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set upon David's head, and he brought forth the spoil of the city in great abundance. David stays home from battle. He makes a mistake. God sends him a preacher. He repents. But Joab writes him a letter. And he says, David, it's time to get back to the battle. And I want to preach on that subject. Get back to the battle. Would you set down your Bibles and let's pray all across this house. I believe God's going to speak to somebody here today. Amen. I, I know that this word is a direct word, and I'm praying, Lord, that you would open up our ears, give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. I'm trusting and I'm believing, Lord, that you're going to open up hearts and minds, God. I believe that this word is going to be, amen, a moment that forever changes the destiny and the lives of people, God. And I'm praying, Lord, that you'd help me to minister humility, God, with grace for the hearers, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. you. May be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Get back to the battle. The Bible declares of David, he is a man after God's own heart. We are introduced to David as a young boy. 
And if you have read the Bible at all, or if you've ever gone to Sunday school, or if you've ever uh, been in a church setting, no doubt you've probably heard of David. Even amongst the secular, David is a powerful figure. He's an interesting subject. You can't help but love David. David is a young man who just simply does whatever his father asks him to do. Notice the heartbeat of David. He's on the backside of the mountain, tending to sheep that are not his own, simply because somebody else asked him to do it. And there he is in his spare time while he's watching and keeping the sheep, which is not an easy job. It's not just taking a nap and hanging out, but she's got to be vigilant because in the moment the Bible later declares there comes a lion and there comes a bear to steal and to kill one of the sheep. And David's got to be ready. So David spends his time practicing with his sling, just getting it to the proper precision. This was no ordinary slingshot. This was a weapon. This was used for warfare. He went out target shooting because David wanted to be prepared for the day when the battle would show up to his sheep. David wanted to be ready when the battle showed up, whether it came in the form of thieves and robbers or if it came in the form of other predatory animals. David wanted to be ready for the battle at hand. David's on the backside of the mountain risking his own life day in and day out for animals, for those that can never repay him. And yet he does not just spend his time twiddling his thumbs. David is also proficiently learning the harp modern day guitar brother johnson he's learning the harp amen we need a harp player no i'm kidding my wife would kill me we had a harp player amen but but it is that idea of he's out there practicing he's out there uh, just perfecting his craft amen he's not just playing and he's not just playing whatever songs of the day there are but david is writing love songs to his god amen david is preparing himself for everything that he is and everything that he does to worship the Lord. He is one that we can find ourselves in because, as many of us, he was the last one picked. Amen. In fact, when the prophet came by and said to his father, one of your sons is going to be king, his father didn't even think that he would be a potential candidate, so he didn't even get invited to be a candidate or to be, amen, there and present when one of his brothers was crowned king. He was overlooked, amen. He was just on the backside of the mountain. Nobody remembered about David, amen. And yet when he showed up because the prophet said, we're not eating until the last son arrives. We're not going to sit down until the anointed one shows up. David shows up just being obedient, and the prophet leans over him with a cruise of oil and says, this is the one the Lord has chosen, because I, the Lord, don't look on the outward appearance only, but I, the Lord, look at the heart. Amen. I'm looking for a king that's got a heart after me. I'm looking for a king that when nobody's around, he's getting ready for battle. I'm looking to anoint somebody that's worshiping me when nobody else is watching. Amen. I want to preach to somebody for a moment, amen, that God is looking to anoint people, and God is looking to call people, that are seeking after him. Amen. Amen. He's anointed to become king of Israel. And this is how we all think it goes. He's got the crown on his head next. Nope. 
Amen. Because there's a, and I could preach about this because I've lived this. There is a big, big gap between the calling and the sending. I ain't got time for it today. But there is a giant gap, and people miss it in this gap. Uh, amen. They get called of God, and they start to lose their wit because there's a time difference between when God called and when God sent. Because you look at David, he's anointed to be king. He is more king than the man on the throne at this very moment, at the age of 14. He is more king in this moment. Uh, amen. Well, he still has sheep clothes on. And he's still more king, uh, although he smells like a field. Uh, he's still more king, and yet his father says, now go back to the sheep. And he's going back to the exiled sheep and just obeying his father. Although he's anointed and called to be king, he's sent back to do some menial tasks by his father. Because future calling, let me say this, future calling does not negate current responsibilities. Hallelujah. As David would write, Selah. Hallelujah. Amen. Future calling never negates current responsibilities. I know of too many people that want the future calling, but they are not willing to do the current responsibilities. I feel my help coming up in here now. Hallelujah. Amen. There's so many people. They want the future. Amen. There's a lot of people. They want the victory. They want the blessing. They want everything that comes along with it. Uh, but in the current moment, right where they are, they're not willing to buckle down. They want the nice house, but they won't budget today. They want the nice car, but they won't fix their credit. They want, they want a spouse, but they're too busy hooking up with all these other, well... They want a good future, amen, but they're refusing to keep their present clean. But David did not negate his current responsibilities. you got to love this guy. He is, he is preparing for his calling. He's preparing for his anointing, amen. And I want to help somebody here today. Anointing does not mean that there are tasks that are below you. Hey, hallelujah, I came to preach to somebody. If you're called, if you're anointed, plunge the toilets. If you're called, if you're anointed, sweep the floor. If you're called, I'm not preaching where I haven't lived. I live it. Amen. I want to help you here today. There are no tasks below the anointed individual because to be truly anointed and truly called means you are a servant of all. Hallelujah. One of the many tasks David is ordered on is to take cheese and bread to his brothers in battle. He's not even invited to fight. He's just going, amen, and he's got to go deliver some, he's Uber Eats, amen, to his brothers. Amen, wow, I'm anointed to be king, and I'm Uber Eats for somebody. Amen, it is here that David is introduced to real-life battle. Yes, he's fought lions, and yes, he's fought bears, but now it's fighting people. And we love to tell the story, and rightfully so, that when no soldiers would fight, this giant by the name of Goliath, this young teenager by the name of David did. And I think we ought to talk about that because it's important. Amen. That David recognized my anointing has a purpose. In fact, everybody saw the problem, but it was only David that saw the purpose. 
Mark it down in your Bibles. Everybody's shaking in their boots. They're shaking in their armor. And David came down with shepherd's garb and a shepherd's crook. He doesn't even have the right weaponry. He doesn't have the right arsenal. And yet David shows up to the battle and he hears the call of the adversary who's mocking God, mocking God's people. And David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for somebody to rise up? Is this not a reason for us to fight back? Is this not a reason for us to engage in the fight and get in the battle? Amen. I just came to deliver cheese and bread. I know I'm just Uber Eats, but the anointing started stirring up in David. And he said, if somebody's not willing to fight, I'm willing to fight. If nobody else is willing to risk it all, I'll risk it all. Amen. Can I preach to somebody? This was David's anointing showing forth. He was anointed to engage in battles that other people avoid. Hallelujah. If you're truly anointed, you'll do the things nobody else is willing to do. Amen. You'll also do the things everybody else is willing to do. Amen. I know people, they feel anointed. Well, I only feel anointed if I'm in this position or if I'm in this place or if I'm doing X, Y, or Z. That ain't the anointing, honey, because the anointing of God is instant in season and out of season. It says, uh, you can make me a greeter in the back. I'll greet or I'll preach. Don't matter to me. I just want to be a servant. I'll sling stones and I'll slay giants or I'll deliver, deliver cheese and bread to my brothers. I'll just take out the trash if that's what's needed. Amen. Whatever it takes, I'm anointed for it. Amen. He was anointed to fight for the lambs. He was anointed to fight for the people. Don't miss it. Being king is not to be set on a throne. Being king means you are the commander-in-chief. I know in America you sit and you go to meetings and all that stuff, but back in those days when you were anointed king, you went to the battles. Amen. People flew under your banner. Amen. He was anointed to fight for the people, and he was anointed to fight for God. And through the years, we find David doing that. He fights battle after battle for King Saul's army. He's anointed king, but he fights for another king. He's got a calling, but he's fighting for somebody else's calling. Amen. Before God will ever help you fulfill your dreams, you're going to have to line yourself up and help somebody else's dreams. Before you can ever move forward into your future, somewhere you've got to help somebody else get ahead of their future. And here he is, David is fighting battles uh, while he's working with Saul. And then Saul starts throwing spears at him because Saul recognizes uh, you're called to be what I am and I don't want to lose my position. And so he starts throwing spears at David. Uh, he's fighting, uh, amen, battles for Saul even when Saul is fighting him. Uh, he's fighting battles for God even when he's running from Saul. Uh, he's fighting battles uh, even when God finally fulfills his promise and makes him king because David was called to fight in battles and in our text we see something out of David's character the Bible says at the time when kings go forth to battle David is what you've been called for you finally got where you're supposed to go you finally got on the throne there's now no more a Saul throwing spears at you there's now nothing hindering you and now all the kings are gathering together for battle. I want you to notice that the Samaritans and all of these other kings are not sitting back. They're going into battle. Hallelujah. And David sent Joab. And David 
stayed home. You can look at the life of David and you can go all the way through his life and you'll find him make small slip-ups and small errors. But the greatest error David ever made was this one right here. This seemingly innocent act of David started him down a path that he would later greatly regret. His job as king was to fight for people and to fight for God. That was what his calling was for. That's what his anointing was for. That's what his purpose was for. Let's be honest and let's be fair to David for a moment. We all got moments like that. Before we start throwing stones at the one that threw stones at Goliath, we gotta we gotta remind ourselves that we have all felt that at times. Amen. We have all been in one battle after another, after another, after another. And if you haven't, God bless you. But for the rest of us in the building, uh, it has been fight to fight to fight to fight as long as we can remember. Uh, amen. Because the only way you go from glory to glory and mount peak to mountain peak and victory to victory you got to go through valley after valley and battle after battle you can't have victories without a battle there's nothing to win if there is no war there's nothing to conquer if there's nobody fighting against you and let's be honest with David for a moment David ain't just a man after God's own heart he's a man after my own heart because I feel it wouldn't it be nice to take a break, kick back in the lazy boy, and let somebody else do the fighting for once? Come on. Wouldn't it be nice? There's some folks here today. You let your spouse do the fighting. Amen. And you just kick back in the lazy boy. You let other people in the church do the fighting, and you just kick back in the lazy boy. Wouldn't it be nice to abdicate responsibilities for just a short holiday? It's not because I want to get away from all together. I just want to take a small break from the battle but let me help somebody here today there is a hidden cost to vacationing from your purpose yeah. you can you can take breaks you can go on vacations praise god please do in fact you need a good vacation but even on your vacation you're going to fight battles even on your vacation listen the one thing you can never take a vacation from is you cannot take a vacation from god and the god-given purpose in your life Hey, hallelujah. Listen, if you take a vacation and you go out and just do all the things that you would be ashamed to do in this building, that ain't a vacation, honey. You, you need to go on vacation with God. And you need to say, I'm going on vacation with my calling. I'm going on vacation with my purpose. And I never stop that. I never stop fighting with that. I never stop fighting for that. I'm going to take a break and get some rest. But I'm still a child of God. I'm still called of God. There is a cost that is hidden. When you abdicate your responsibilities, even for a short period of time. I, 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 I hope nobody does it, but don't pay your bills for one month. I'm just taking a vacation for my bills. Whew. Guess what? You got double the bills next month. Well... And when you take a break from the battle and think the battle's just going away and then it'll just fade away and I'm going to take a vacation from it, I got news for you, the battle will be there next week too. But this time, all the enemies that would have been defeated this week are also with the enemies that show up next week and the problems compound. 
You see, when we are fighting external battles, uh, we are unknowingly winning hidden battles in our life as well. Uh, while we are being responsible to our God-given calling, uh, we are also taking care of little things uh, that we recognize or don't recognize that would hinder that calling. Uh, as long as we are fighting in the battle, uh, we are winning. Let me preach that again. As long as you are fighting in the battle, you may not feel like you're winning, but the simple fact that you are engaging yourself in the fight and engaging yourself in the battle, you are winning. You might lose this battle, but you're winning the war. You might lose in this area, but honey, you'll gain in this area. David stopped fighting in the battle. He decided to take some me time. I'd like to know what me time is. Praise God. But what does a purpose-driven man like David do when there's nothing purposeful to do? Hey, hallelujah, there's some people, if you don't know your why, you die. I'm one of those people. If I don't got my eyes on the why, I die. And there's people that they want to take some me time. But I want to help you here today. Me is not your why. Hallelujah. If you're anointed and called of God, me is not your calling. Amen. It's always to help others. It's always to bless others. Amen. And God will bless you so that you can be a blessing. God will help you so that you can help others. And in your pursuit to be a blessing and in your pursuit to do the will of God, amen, God's going to help you work out all of these other little things. No doubt, David got home and he decided, well, I'm going to sit down and read some books. And that got done. He got tired of it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some songs on my harp. Then his fingers got numb and he said, well, I'm kind of done with that. Started eventually twiddling his thumbs and, you know, he had the court jester come out and juggle or do something and that got bored and modern day HBO and started doing things that you know, he probably shouldn't be involved in. And then he said, well, man, I'll just do some me time. I'm just going to take a bath and relax. And after that was done, he said, I'm going to lay down in my bed, take a nap. But you can only sleep so long. And it was in this season that David had enough time to himself to notice patterns that were not good to note. He learned that his bedroom overlooked the bathing area came to preach to somebody he noticed a certain woman would go there every night around the same time he noticed how attractive she was even he i know the bible only records this action once but i don't believe this was just one moment of weakness that led him to do such extreme things when people say well i fell into sin no you didn't no you didn't no, you didn't trip and fall into sin. You were walking down the path. And when you were walking down the path, there was a cliff and you had a decision to make. Do I jump or do I turn back? And David made the decision. I'm jumping in, both feet not even looking. Amen. When somebody says, well, I just fell into it. No, you didn't. You walked into it. 
you might have blindfolded yourself, but you walked into it. Uh, amen. I didn't come to condemn me, but I've got some good things to say here today. Uh, but I want to help you here today. Uh, David went and did something so extreme, but I don't believe it was just extreme in that moment. I believe it was week after week after week. you got to understand, this was not just one day. We're reading about I know you read one chapter and think that one chapter happened in the same day as the next chapter. But between chapter 11 and chapter 12, there's an entire year entire year that's going on and the bible records that david did this extreme thing finally after watching this pattern and this habit that he started to form every night he got bored and he got on the computer well is that too modern he got he got bored and he got on his phone he got to his dms he started scrolling on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, and then when that got boring, he went to Google and started searching up. And, and then he took his safe search off because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I can control myself. I came to preach to somebody. And he started looking and looking. And he started developing a pattern and developing a habit uh, until one night he could not hold himself. Uh, let me rephrase myself. He did not hold himself back. Uh, and the Bible declares he committed adultery with one of his best friend's wife. I know the Bible is very real, and some people don't like that. Sin is always tempting. It always lures you away slowly until you willingly walk into the open trap, and then it shuts on you. James 1 and 14 says, Every man is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. I want to help you here today. The devil is not your friend. He is looking to ensnare you and to entrap you. Can I preach to somebody? That boy is not your friend. That girl is not your friend. Oh, I came to preach to somebody. That website is not your friend. That app is not your friend. That late night Google search is not your friend. Well, it might be innocent in the beginning, but it doesn't end that way. That binge watching is not of God. It's leading you down a dark path, and that dark path leads to sin, and sin leads to death. And God sent a preacher to tell you, you don't have to die there. You don't have to stay there. You can come out. Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Come on, I know this might be more intense than some people would like on a Sunday afternoon. I'll preach the happy stuff next week. But if I don't preach this, you're going to go to hell. And I didn't come to condemn you. I came to get you out of hell. If you don't get this under the blood of Jesus, it's going to send you down a dark path and you're going to regret it. David's got a bigger problem now. What started off as a late night habit has become an addiction. And now, amen, his, his was a physical attraction that became physical, and now she's pregnant. So what's he got to do? He's got to cover his tracks. He brings back Uriah from the battle and says, hey, you're a great man. Go, go spend time with your wife. But Uriah is a noble man. He says, no, if my soldiers are out there in the battle, I'm not, 
I'm gonna stay on the I'm gonna stay on the streets. I'm not going. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. My men are out there in tents and they're fighting battles. He's a noble man, more more noble than David is being in this moment. And then when David realizes that the cover up didn't work, he sends him with a letter back to Joab and says, Joab, in this letter you gotta sit this guy in the hottest part of the battle. And when it gets too tough, I don't care how tough this guy can fight. When it gets real rough, everybody pull back and retreat from the battle. And he dies. And that's exactly what happened. And then he marries Bathsheba. And David thinks to himself, I'm so glad that's done. It's all taken care of. We're married. Nobody will ever know. For almost one year. I know it's one chapter. It doesn't seem like a whole year. In almost one year, he does not do anything about it. He does not tell anybody about it. He does not hear anything about it. In fact, we have an entire year where he does not seem as if he talks to God at all. He doesn't write love songs. He's not interested in communicating with God. Amen. He's missing out on worship. He's missing out on prayer meetings. He's missing out on all these things that has made him who he is today. And the Bible declares in Psalms 32, he writes of how he felt this entire year. When I kept saying, silence. Can I help somebody that says, I'll just cover it up? No. It's going to hurt you worse to cover up than it would for you to just get it under the blood. When I kept silence, my bones wax old through the roaring all day long. For my day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. The moisture in my soul was turned to the drought of summer. So for one year, I feel dry. For one year, my bones are raging. For one year, I toss and turn all night. I can't get a hold of God. I, I, I just can't get back to what I was. And the Bible says that God's conviction was upon him day and night. Can I help somebody here today? Conviction is one of the most beautiful things that you will ever feel in your life. You want to know when you should worry? When God stops convicting you. Ooh. When you quench the spirit and God stops checking you and God stops correcting you and God stops trying to help you get better, that's when you should really worry. It's not when you have a heavy hand on your shoulder that's weighing you down every time you get on the internet. It's not that heavy hand on your shoulder that every time you go to send that DM. It's not that heavy hand upon your shoulder every time you go to that place you should never go or watch what you should not watch. That's it's not when you should be worried. It's when you go to do those things and the hand is not on you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody pray. I came to really, 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 really preach to somebody today. I came to preach you out of prison. I came to preach you out of hell. I came to preach you out of your own personal hell, your own personal prison. Amen. The prison of condemnation that's held you up and held you back and stopped you from getting back to where God wants you to go. I came to preach you out of that today in Jesus' name. Conviction is like that. It is a heavy hand on your shoulder. And the thing about conviction is you can ignore it, and you'll still feel that hand. 
and you'll ignore it, and that hand will feel a little lighter. And you'll ignore it, and that hand will feel a little lighter. Because what's happening, you're ignoring the conviction of God. And here's the problem when you ignore the conviction of God. Condemnation steps into where conviction was. And you know what condemnation feels like? It's like, a, it's like a rock, a big heavy weight tied to your foot, and you're swimming. And you're trying your best to stay afloat, but it keeps pulling you under. See, the heavy hand is not trying to put you down. The heavy hand is trying to push you in the right direction. The heavy hand is trying to push you towards God and push you towards the altar and push you back towards your purpose. Whereas condemnation is saying you'll never get up, you'll never be again. And, and if you ignore conviction long enough, condemnation has a creak, a crack in the door it can get through. And it starts yanking you down. And David, for one year, has started giving himself over to this condemnation. He said, it'll never get better. I'm just going to be like this. But I got good news. One day, God sent him a preacher. I know I'm the preacher today, but can I preach to you about the preacher? I thank God for a preacher. Hallelujah. I thank God for the times my pastor stood up behind the pulpit and began to preach to me when I didn't want to hear what he had to say. I'm so glad for the days he stood up behind the pulpit and told me, thus saith the Lord, even though I didn't really want to hear it, even though I wanted to stop my ears because I was living contrary to what he was saying. I thank God for the man of God that showed up and pointed his finger and said, if you don't get it under the blood, it's going to take you under. If you don't get it right... Hey, I know people that hate preachers. They don't like what preachers have to say because they're on the other side of the blood. But for those of us that got it taken care of and got it under the blood, I thank God for the day that a preacher came by and told me, you can get out of this. It doesn't have to end this way. You can be restored. God sent him a preacher. And for one year he had, heard, he had not heard from God. He had not felt God. All he felt was that hand of conviction. But the moment the preacher got done, the Bible declares David fell on his face. Psalms 51 records it. He says, oh God, wash me, cleanse me, purge me. And David got it all. He said, oh Lord, don't remember my sins. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He started praying. He was really repenting. He was really getting it right. David repented of all of his sins. Amen. Part of his recovery and his redemption. Amen. Was this powerful gift called repentance. Many people don't talk about repentance because they think repentance is a bad word. They think it's a judgmental word. Many churches today across the city have not not talked about repentance not once in the last five years because they don't want to preach about repentance because it might scare off the seeker. But I come to help you here today. Everyone from the preacher to the person on the side of the road has got to repent. And let me help you. Conviction is a gift. But conviction's gift is that it's getting you by the hand. It's that heavy hand on the shoulder pushing you. But where is it pushing you? It's pushing you towards an altar where you can say, God, I'm sorry. It's pushing you to a place of repentance where you can get it under the blood, where you can say, God, wash me. God, deliver me. It's that conviction that leads you. It is that God-given opportunity to repent. The Bible says in Romans, it is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
Some people think it's the judgment of God, the meanness of God. No, it's not. It's the goodness. You know, it would be cruel as if God said, you have to stay this way, you dirty person. That'd be cruel. You have to stay in your mess, your shame, and you deserve it because you did all that. That would be cruel. But a God that loves you says, no, 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 no. No, no, I know you did that, but let's get this taken care of right now. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary. Weary of what? Weary of sin. Weary of shame. Weary of guilt. Weary of condemnation. He, he's like, I'll give you the rest you're looking for. I'll never forget, and I'll be transparent with everybody part of my testimony for one year I, I got done being the youth pastor and I stopped uh, doing that I, I handed off to the next person and I had put everything I could into it I gave four years of my life invested everything that I could in Jesus name God bless you a sound system amen I gave four years of my life did everything that I could investing into other people other people's kids even though they they didn't necessarily like me sometimes parents were uh, I love the kids, but sometimes, sometimes the parents were the problem. But, um, but <laughs> you just try your best to invest, 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 invest. And after four years of doing that, finally somebody else stepped in. They took over, and I, I just thought, man, whew, a break. And I took that year, and I took a break. I, I wasn't ushering. I wasn't leading worship. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't serving. And I thought, whew, finally some me time. And then... I got bored, and I took my iPad that I used to develop preaching, and I thought, you know, I don't even want to read the Bible. I set my Bible and let it collect dust on the nightstand, took it to church to look holy, and uh, brought my iPad that I used to use for preaching notes, and I've always wanted to see what this, this movie was about. Oh, well, there's part one of ten. I might as well, part two of ten. And then, well, you know what, let me just... Subscribe to this. Let me get a hold of that. And then I started showing up late to church. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm the pastor, and I know y'all, well, he shouldn't ever say that. For one year, didn't read my Bible, didn't think about God. I was done. I was spent. I'd done well. I'd done well for all those years. And I took that year, and little did I know, I was walking right into a trap. To where now I'd go to church and I didn't feel God at all. I started thinking to myself, you know, I could do so many other things today. You know, I got, I got to mow my yard at the house I just bought that God blessed me with. But I'm not talking about God's blessings, you know. I paid for it. You know, I could be working overtime. I could be doing, I know I'm preaching to somebody right now. I, I could really be investing in something else. You know, I kind of had some interest in some different things. And, and for one year until about... About halfway through that, about nine months through that year, my pastor walked up to me. He laid his heavy hand on my shoulder. He said, I'm worried about you. And I looked right back at him and said, you know, I am too. I am too. I went home. Got back, started watching this and watching that. Started just in, you know, well, tired of being single, and so maybe I should find a girlfriend. Just came to preach to somebody. But it was in that moment, felt that heavy hand on my shoulder. I've been ignoring it for so long. And my pastor had been preaching for a year, and I've been ignoring him. He'd been trying to help, and I've been ignoring him. 
And it was in that moment that God began to deal with me. And I, I said, God, I started letting that conviction work on me. I started letting every word, and I, I stopped ignoring it. I said, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not waiting until I get to church on Sunday. I'm not waiting until they bring some good preacher by. I said, Lord, I, I have ignored you for an entire year, and I wish I could tell you I was happier this year than I was every other year, but I'm more miserable this year. I'd never, I haven't been depressed since I got saved until that year, and I started feeling all those old feelings because when you stop fighting for your purpose, you start fighting internal battles. When you stop fighting for the will of God, you you start fighting other things. You start fighting demonic spirits. You start fighting other people. You start fighting against the church. You start fighting against the pastor. You start fighting against people that love you. You start fighting against people that have your best interest at heart. And I remember getting on my knees in my bedroom. I got on my iPad and deleted every app. I said, I'm getting rid of all this junk. I grabbed my Bible. I said, Lord, I'm not reading this for a sermon. I'm going to read this because I want to know you again. I opened up my Bible and I said, oh God, I just want to know more. Can I preach to somebody? It didn't take an altar call. It didn't take a church service. I made an altar in my house. Amen. Can I preach to somebody? It was the goodness of God that was leading me to repentance. Here's the thing about repentance for me and for David and for you. The moment you repent, God forgives you. God was looking to restore David, and God is looking to restore you. The moment you let that heavy hand work on your heart, you can change. You can be transformed. And God, as my witness, started transforming things in my heart. Amen. And then from that point forward, my ears were more attuned when the preacher started preaching. Can I preach to somebody? David was restored, but he allowed himself to be so bound by condemnation that he started feeling like, well, I already messed up, so why even try? David was forgiven. David was right with God. David was restored. But I came to preach to somebody. David's recovery was not yet complete. In our text, we see Joab is still fighting on David's orders. He is taking care of all the battles and he fights for David. Over one year of David sitting back uh, while Joab did all the fighting for him. Uh, oh, one year uh, of hiding uh, and sinning uh, and making mistake uh, while others were out there fighting and engaging in the battle. Uh, amen. One full year. Uh, Joab was one of his closest allies, uh, his closest friends. Uh, Joab was one of the only people who truly knew uh, of everything David had done and everything David had failed in. Uh, and he knew that David had sinned. He knew that David had been rebuked. He knew that David had repented. But Joab also knew that David was staying in the same position that he was in when he failed the first time. I came to preach to somebody. I'm almost done. 
if you don't return to the battle, you will make the same mistakes and worse that you did, amen, the first time. If you don't get back into the fight, you'll end up back in Bathsheba's house. If you don't get back in the fight, you'll end up back in sin. If you don't get back in the fight, you'll end up back in the devil's clutches. If you don't get back in the fight, you'll end up back in the snare. If you don't get back in the fight, you'll end up right where the devil had you cornered. I think we ought to stand all across this building and lift up our hands. Come on, let's pray all across this building. Come on, let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Come on, you got to change your surroundings. You got to change. You got to. You got to change. You might have to change your phone number. You might have to change your. You might have to get rid of social media. You might have to get rid of your cell phone. You might have to. You might have to change addresses. Amen. If they, if they know where you live and they showing up when you're struggling, if they calling when you're struggling, you ought to change some things. You ought to block some things. I came to preach to somebody. If I would have had a prayer meeting in my house and said, God, I'm sorry, God, forgive me, God would have done it. But I would have ended right back there before the next week was out. But I got a revelation that I can't just get back to God. I've got to get back to the battle too. You know what I did? I went to church, and I said, all right, pastor, I'm ready. What do you need? I showed up and said, hey, I haven't ushered in a couple years because I had so many other things going. Make me a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I showed up to Sister Mayo and said, hey, you want to throw me in the choir? You know I hate singing. You know I'm not a fan of it. But whatever you need from me, that's what I'll do. You need me to stack chairs? That's what I, what was I doing? I made a decision. I wasn't just going to get right with God and get back to God. I was going to get back in the battle, get back in the fight. I wasn't just going to show up to church. I started taking church cards with me to invite people because when you're not encouraging others to come, you're less likely to come. When you're not engaged in the battle, it's hard to get others engaged in the battle. And I took that word and I started going back out and finding people that needed God and teaching them what thus saith the Lord. Can I preach to somebody? you got to get back in the fight. He said, David, if you don't get in this battle, I'm naming this city after me. For one year I fought this whole battle. But Joab's a good friend in this moment. Said, listen, you heard the preacher, you repented, but it's time to get engaged now. It's time to fight, or you're gonna listen. Let me help somebody. If you don't understand anything else I say today, understand this. You will fight. You'll fight. You'll fight devils or you'll fight your spouse. Well, you'll fight for your calling and for your purpose. Or you will fight the fact, amen, that you are struggling in every area. You will fight mental struggles. You will fight emotional struggles. Amen. I didn't come to tell you that the battle is any less, amen, when you fight for God. It might be just as extreme. But the difference is, if you're fighting, you might as well fight for something that matters. 
If you got to struggle, you might as well struggle while living for God. If you, you're going to get sick anyways, you might as well be sick living for God. Uh, you're, you, you're, if you're going to go broke, you're going to go broke anyways. You might as well go broke living for God. You're going to lose friends. If you're going to lose friends, you might as well lose friends living for God. If you plan on staying in victory, you need to get back to the battle. Joab said, listen, this battle that you left me to battle for one year, it's your time, big boy. you got to get up in here. And David said, all right, I'm getting back to fighting. We never see David fall back into that trap again. Whew. In fact, amen, his, his struggle was sexual immorality. It was so bad, amen, that we later find his son Solomon had all sorts of problems with it. Uh, amen, it was somehow exemplified uh, through David's life where his son thought that it was acceptable. And, and I don't know what it was, but all I know is that by the time David was an old man, uh, they were trying to keep David warm, uh, but David wouldn't even touch the young lady uh, because David had won that battle. David had fought that battle, and he won that battle. He said, if I'm going to die, I'll die cold if I can I preach to somebody if you're going to live in victory you need to be back in the battle you got to get back to the prayer room you got to get back to the Bible not reading it so you got something good to say but reading it because it's the word of life and it gives life to the reader and to the hearer and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord if you're going to live in victory you got to get back to church I know you're at church today but you got to be at church on Wednesday you got to be at church on Sunday you got to be at prayer meeting well, I just I don't know if you're going to live in victory you got to get back to the altar if you're going to live in victory you got to get back to worshiping God you know I, you know where it started for me I stopped dancing at church that may be different for some other people that's really where it started just stop worshiping God like I used to with exuberance and I thought no it's I'm a little more refined now I've I figured out oh, praise the Lord but little did I know, that expression of worship was not for me. It was for the Lord. And when I stopped that expression of worship, everything else started tumbling after that. When I stopped giving to God in worship, all of a sudden other areas of my life, amen, I stopped giving those to God as well. you got to get back to the Word of God. you got to get back to Bible study. you got to get back to the house of the Lord. you got to get back to fellowship with your brother. you got to get back to connecting with people of like-minded faith. you got to get back to talking about God. you got to get back to teaching somebody about God. If you're going to stay in victory, you got to go out of yourself and fight. I want us to lift up our hands. I know I preach intensely today, and I know I preach long, but I've come to preach to you. you got to get back in the battle. I, I don't know who this is for today, but if, you're, if you are tired of living and not feeling God, if you are tired of living below your means, if you are tired of living below the spiritual calling God has for you, I want to tell you today is a day where you can get back in the altar and you can get back to fighting. If you are tired of feeling like you are one step away from the world, you can come down to this altar right now and you can say, God, touch me. God, help me. You're going to get back in the battle. You're going to get back in the fight. If you are tired of being ensnared every time the devil comes by, every time a temptation comes by, and every time somebody slides in your DMs, you need to get to the presence of God today. 
Come on, there's some folks in this house. That's not your story. You've not done those things, but you've gotten complacent, and you've gotten cold, and you've let your walk with God go by the wayside, and the birds of the air are plucking away little bit by little bit your consecration, your dedication, your commitment, all the things you used to do for the Lord. I come to preach to you today. Get back and engage in the battle. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? If you need a place to repent, repentance is right here right now. And you can say, God, I'm sorry. If you need a place to say, God, I want to get back to my first works. I want to get back to my first love. David, go back to writing songs about God. David, go back to singing to God. David, go back to fighting. David, go back to worshiping. David, go back to the things of the Lord. Come on, somebody pray in this house. I am preaching to you today, not as a perfect man, but as somebody who has lived this message, that has experienced this message. You can't just repent. You've got to get back in the battle. Somebody pray in this house. Your mercy calls me to be like you. Come on, that's it all across this building. Every day I'll awaken my praise. Come on, if you're going to fight, you might as well fight for God. You might as well fight for the things of God. There's still victory in your future. worship the Lord all across this building. You are good. Your mercy come on, I want to encourage you to come down to this altar. This is not an admission of guilt. This is an opportunity to get engaged in the battle. Come on, sir. Maybe you've not been praying for your family and you let other people pray for your family. It's your time. Come on, ma'am. Maybe you've not prayed for your marriage. You just let it work itself out. You need to be in this altar. You need to be praying. Maybe you've not been praying about certain things God's called you to be in you to do. You need to lay this back on the altar and say, God, get me back in the fight. You are good. You are good. Your mercy is forever. Your kindness leads me to repentance. Come on, all across this building. Come on, he's in this building granting. He's granting repentance in this house. He's granting repentance in this house. God, I'm sorry. But he's also granting an opportunity to go fight again, to pray again, to worship again, to get back in the battle, to get back in the fight. Is my
Well, that's it all across this building. Let's pray for a little bit. Let's press in the Holy Ghost for just a moment. I know I dealt with some very serious subjects, but this is the time for us to really pray. The Holy Ghost dropped this in my spirit, and I can't get away from it. We need to pray right now. We need to pray right now. We need to pray right now. You don't get engaged in the battle. You're going right back to the struggle. If you don't get engaged in the battle, you're going right back to the sin. You're going right back to the thing God brought you out of. And God sent a preacher to tell you you don't have to go out that way. You don't have to die that way. God has more victory for you.